podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the last World Cup Daily of the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined by Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Feeling quite like Frodo after the ring finally disappeared. Uh, yeah, I would imagine so. I would imagine so. But, Jesus, you've got to be chuffed about what we saw yesterday. Argentina 3, France 3, Argentina victorious on penalties. We've got to give credit to young Drinkle who called 4-3 Argentina, I think we have to give him this one. Absolutely. I'd say this is as close to spot on as you could possibly be, uh, other than, you know, obviously, let's say Lautaro, knowing uh, what the difference is between a header and just bouncing the ball off your head, uh, or hair possibly, given the angle it went off at. Um, what a ridiculous game. Guy, well played. Well played. Yeah, this was a ridiculous game. Lionel Messi puts Argentina... 1-0 up on 23 minutes from the penalty spot after Di Maria is fouled by Dembele. We'll talk about that penalty in a minute. Di Maria himself made it two on 36 minutes. One of the goals of the tournament, a brilliantly worked goal, which saw Messi, Alvarez, McAllister and Di Maria f- combine with ruthless incision to carve open that French defence. It looked like Argentina had the game won, but on 80 minutes, Otamendi does an Otamendi. France get a penalty, Mbappe steps up, Mbappe scores. On 81 minutes, Mbappe scores an absolute peach. We go to extra time, 108 minutes in, Messi scores from close range. Again, it looks like Argentina have it won. But again, France fight back. 118 minutes in, Mbappe's shot is handled as it's tried to be blocked. He steps up and completes a World Cup final hat-trick. And we go to penalties. Mbappe miss, uh, sorry, Mbappe scores. Messi scores. Kingsley Coman has his penalty saved by Emiliano, Emiliano Martinez. Dybala scores. Chouameni drags his penalty wide. Paredes scores. Kolomuanu, who had an unbelievably good chance to win it, but missed his chance, scores his penalty. But Montiel steps up and makes it look like there's no pressure on him and just slots it in. And Argentina win 4-2 on penalties, Carl. And Lionel Messi is finally the champion of the world. Yeah, uh, I 
don't even know where to begin, to be honest. This was such a bizarre match. It looked done and dead, and then it wasn't. And then it, then I think only really from about 2-1 can you say it was a great game, um, because France were, like, abject, so, so bad before that. And then suddenly they decided to play football. And from 2-1 through to the last penalty shootout, it was, like, non-stop nail-biting. And... We did make reference to Argentina's habit of, of doing that, looking fine and solid and then conceding one and totally imploding. Um, other than the Croatia game, it happened in every single one of their knockout matches, basically. Uh, they escaped against Australia. They eventually prevailed against Netherlands. They've done the same again here. So you can't question the spirit and the fact that after an initial wobble that they bounce back and they do very, very well. But it's just the size of that wobble is enormous and really <laughs> uh, makes for very interesting viewing, let's say. Uh, France, I don't think, honestly, I can't have any sympathy for them because they were so poor for so long in that game. The start for a World Cup final was just ridiculously bad. Um, I guess we'll get through the, the team selections and decisions and stuff in a minute. But in general, I think, although it seemed like a lot more people wanted Argentina to win anyway, uh, I think the deserved winners on the day certainly picked up the trophy. Yeah, I, I do agree. Let's let's go straight into looking at the team. So France line up in the expected 4-2-3-1. Lloris in goal, Kunde and Teo Hernandez as the fullbacks. That's what's expected. Rafa Varane as expected. But Upa Meccano brought into the team in place of Ibrahima Kanate, and that turned out to be a dreadful move. Chuameni with Rabio next to him, it was quite clear Rabio wasn't that full power. Dembele right wing. Griezmann, Mbappe left wing, and then Olivier Giroud up front. We've got a lot to talk about with this France team. For Argentina, they went to 4-3-3, but it was a 4-3-3 that was very much a 4-4-2 out of possession, which is what we were kind of expecting in, in terms of what they would do off ball. But I do think it was a surprise, the one name that came into the team, that I don't think we... Given what they'd done without him, I don't. I think it was a bit of a surprise they brought him back in. Emi Martinez in goal. Molina, Romero, Otamendi, Tagliafico gets the, the spot at left back, which I think was the right move given it was a back four. DePaul, Enzo Fernandez, and Alexis McAllister in midfield. Lionel Messi, Julian Alvarez, and Angel Di Maria. Now, I thought it was going to be a choice between Paredes if he went with a back four. Or um, Lisandro, Mar- yeah, Lisandro Martinez if he went with a back five, but then during the week talk did come up that it's you know it's a choice between Martinez and Di Maria. He went with Di Maria, and let's be fair, he got his reward because Di Maria wins the first penalty and scores the second goal. Which was a more surprising decision for you, the, the choice of Di Maria for Argentina or Upamecano for France? Di Maria, definitely. Um, Upamecano, I, I expected to start, even if I didn't necessarily think that was the right call. Um, he, he's been in all the way through the tournament, basically. So definitely Di Maria coming back in from nowhere, basically, after the, the two performances, let's say, and tactical uh, shifts without him. But like you say, it allowed them to have him through the energy that he has, the work rate that he has, to play both a wing and a, a midfield role, basically. So I don't think that it was... I wouldn't have started him, but obviously Scaloni would have seen very, very close what shape he was in, how much he mm. thought he could get from him. And if we're 
sort of taking a step back and looking at the the wider picture not many people there other than maybe Messi would have been more determined and more on fire basically to make sure his team lifted it because Di Maria obviously people remember uh, eight years ago was in the squad but didn't play in the final so he was the only other one there apart from Messi and let's also remember that Di Maria does have a history of good performances in big games and he has that experience of big games as well so yeah I, I think it was it absolutely turned out to be the right decision but yeah it was a bit of a surprise I was surprised that he went with Upa, that Deshaun went with Upamecano, to be honest. And I thought he had a stinker. Um, 41 he minutes a few, a few very good recoveries when it was um, getting a bit stretched. Yeah, he did. But he was having to make some of those recoveries largely because he was out of position himself. And that's where Kanate would have made them look a lot easier because he wouldn't have been 15 yards out of position looking to do something else. Um 41 minutes into the game, Carl, Deschamps, obviously shell-shocked by what's gone on. His team are 2-0 down. He got his starting 11 wrong. He makes a double substitution. 41 minutes into the game, he drags off Giroud and Usman Dembele to bring on Marcus Turam and Randall Colo Muani. That, to me is one of the strangest things I've ever seen happen in a World Cup final. 41 minutes in. Hmm. Right to do, though. Um, we were just discussing, actually, on the desk about maybe five minutes, what, what's he going to do at half-time? And obviously, the, the thing they needed was to be better in midfield, but I didn't really like any of the midfield options that France have because of how Fafana's played. Vertu's not really been involved. Ganduzi, I think, is crap. So there wasn't that much they could do. So I suggested basically Giroud had to come off and Griezmann's position had to change one way or another, either get him higher up and closer to the centre forwards, put Mbappe through the middle and play Griezmann just off him, maybe put him wide and someone else off. Um, But basically it was never really a consideration for me, even though Rabiot was playing obviously well within himself, it didn't look anywhere near energetic as usual. No. Um, you can presume was a, a response of the illness. I thought it was going to be an attack rather than up uh, in midfield that any changes happened. I definitely didn't expect two of them and not before half time, but absolutely think it was the right call to make. The only reason you wait until half time is to save the players like ego or whatever like that. This this is the World Cup final. There's no room for that. Deschamps made absolutely the right call. That is probably the last time we'll see Olivier Giroud in a French jersey and you know, to go out as France's record goal scorer on that low, I think that is a bit of a slap in the face. Whether it was the right call or not, I mean, Colo Moani didn't exactly didn't exactly play all that well. I I didn't think when he came on. Um, Usman Dembele, I think, is an easier one to work around because he's still only 25 and he's still got a long time ahead of him, but. Giroud, he was having such a stinker. He was having such a stinker that fair, fair enough. Getting bringing him off probably, probably had to happen. But I, I just, I don't know. Like for what he's done for this team, it, it just seemed like he deserved a little bit more. Um, talk to me about the first penalty, Carl, because there's been a lot of lot of conspiracy nonsense, is what I would call it, around some of the decisions. Specifically, that first penalty. 
I think as soon as you say the word conspiracy, it automatically says the next word is nonsense to be perfect. Yes. And that doesn't just go for football. Um, it was a penalty. There you go. Uh, he got past him. The defensive work was rubbish, not just from Dembele. I'll get to that in a second. But basically, when, once he's in front of him, Dembele is not careful. That's as, that's as simple as this comes down to. Dembele is not careful. And he clips one of his inner calf or shin or whatever against the boot as uh, Di Maria is running away from him. It's really soft. But it's a foul. That's a penalty. No no question. Yeah, I agree. I think De Marie is looking for it. Oh, yeah, for sure. And but I, I think he's, he's not being careful enough. Exactly. He's he's He knows it's a winger. He knows it's a winger who's not a good defensive player. And I think he just slows down and lets Dembele make contact and he hits the floor. I thought definite penalty. Messi steps up and you knew he was going to score. He was never missing in that in that situation. I'm just going to, before we move on, talk about the player who I think was maybe the worst on the pitch. Um, oh, beautiful. The spells of the game, uh, Jules Koundé. Um, yes. That penalty's on him, basically, not Dembele. Dembele was out there doing what he had to do. He was always going to get either beaten or just get fortunate because he's not a tackler. He's not a tracker. That's not his game. Koundé was about 15 yards away from him. And mm. once, he start, once Di Maria started to go past Dembele, did nothing. It wasn't until he already got in the box, then he suddenly realised, started to go out, and it's already a penalty. Like, he's still yards away when it's a penalty. It was yeah, he's, a terrible defender, and he had a shocking match. He did. He did have a shocking match. And he hasn't had a great tournament, in truth. Really, really poor. Um, so I don't know lucky to start, to be fair. I, I, who else do you start? I mean, Benjamin Pavard hadn't played since... Yeah, but early in the first game, De Sassi is the only other one. But I thought if De Sassi has been anywhere near half decent in training, he might have come in last night. So talk to me about De Sassi for one second. Why did Deschamps bring him on in 121 minutes? Was I he assume, going to take a penalty? Well, I assume either maybe he does. I don't know if De Sassi takes penalties or not. But I, honestly, my thought on the on the moment when it was happening was because there was two subs made at that time, wasn't it? It was was Dybala came on for Argentina. Yes, uh, in, that, in that last second, so I thought, oh, well, he's coming on to take a penalty, and Dezassi is coming on to stop Koundé taking one. <laughs> that might well just be it. That might might well just be it. He might have been the eleventh pen or the tenth penalty taker, but it might just have been a case of we can't have Koundé take one. Um, he's been so poor. Um, the second goal, Carl Upamecano makes a mess of things. And Argentina just pounce on it. And it's a sensational transition goal. This was like a club goal, wasn't it? Oh, this was incredible. Like Great it was movement. everybody knew the timing that they had to make. Everybody knew the runs that you were gonna hit the ball into straight away for the space. Uh it wasn't like reactive. Everybody went like off the first pass, the next couple of people started moving when the overlap came on the inside, then Di Maria gets on his bike because he can see the next pass and the next one, which will be to him. It was very, very fluid and perfectly executed. Perfectly executed, perfectly finished. It is as a, as gorgeous a goal as you'll ever see in a World Cup final. It is perfection. And the the messy flick in the middle of it is just glorious. Absolutely glorious. So we, we, we've spoken about Argentina's um, proclivity to throw away leads, <laughs> their enjoyment of the drama. The penalty, Otamendi just has one of his moments here. Like, I don't think he needs to commit that foul. 
he just he gets himself too tight and, and just does an Otamendi. But Mbappe steps up and scores. But this second Mbappe goal, Carl, this is this is another absolute peach of a goal. Um, yeah, I mean, I have questions over Emi Martinez um, around this goal. Let's leave alone the, the wider discourse around questions about Emi Martinez at this point. because I think he was just enjoying himself uh, by the end of the tournament, it's fair to say. Um, uh, technique on that, amazing. The, I think, confidence and self-belief to even take on that shot, needing a goal in the World Cup final beyond the scale but the build-up in general was was really well worked as well between Mbappe and Turan I think it was um I'm not sure the ball in initially from Rabiot was actually initially quite exactly what he intended but Mbappe made it into something very good anyway and like I say unbelievable finish that's maybe the best strike we'll see out of the next like three four World Cup finals maybe mm. yeah I could definitely see that um Argentina had the game won. They managed to throw it away. Then an extra time, they win it again. Messi scores on 108 minutes, a bit of a scramble in the French box. And Messi taps home from close range. And then they just throw it away again. Now, this one is is definitely a penalty. And I wouldn't have huge amounts of criticism for Montiel. I think it's... I think he's he's trying to make a block, but as obviously his arm is away from his body, it's a, a definite penalty. It's massive pressure. Like it, it's the most pressurized penalty he'll ever take for Mbappe. But he steps up and he scores his hat trick goal. A hat trick in a World Cup final. Carl, if we if we just strip away everything and, and think of a player's legacy, I think Mbappe with his hat-trick in the game and then scoring the first penalty in the shootout, I think he does more for his legacy with that performance, even in a defeat, than he would have done if, say, France had won 1-0 and he'd had a stinker. Oh, unbelievably so. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I do think that that's a little bit the case because he's already won a World Cup. You know, if this was... Yeah, if this was his one World Cup and or one World Cup final, sorry, and you know he didn't play well in it, then maybe you know twenty years from now you look back and it's a different question. But he's already won one. He was already good throughout one. <laughs> this was ridiculous. I'm sorry. This was like computer game stuff. It was just um, a shootout. We were trying to decide afterwards, like which other big occasions have just been basically about the scoreline, at least about a shootout between the best two players. It doesn't really happen that often. I mean, I was thinking no. of like um, Zlatan and Cristiano Ronaldo in the playoff, or I can't remember if it was the World Cup or the Euros a few years back, uh, Sweden and Portugal, and it was just like a hat-trick at each of them. And I think Ronaldo just about scored one more across the two legs sort of thing, and that was Portugal through and Sweden out. But apart from that, I couldn't really come up with too many, really. This was just insanity, like unbelievably good. This was what we hoped. You're a, a child of the 90s like me. And in 94, we had a great World Cup in America. And we got the final everybody wanted. It wasn't that it was Brazil against Italy. It was Romario against Roberto Baggio, the two best players in the world at that point. And the final obviously turned out to be a bit of a damp squib until the penalty shootout. 
Whereas this time, it was a fairly average tournament overall. Like it, it's it's not an all time tournament by any stretch. But we yeah, got. Johnny disagrees with you. Who? Gianni Infantino. Oh, he can get fucked. That fella's <laughs> he. That fella's an idiot. Um, it, it's not like it's just. It's just not anywhere close to the best World Cup of all time. But we got the game many people wanted between the two players many people believe are the best players in the world. And we got an all-time great final. Now, I don't know if it's the best ever. I don't know if it's even top three, but it's certainly top five. And both of them. Both of them had all-time performances. Mbappe gets a hat-trick, and he scores in the penalty shootout. Messi gets two goals, is involved in the other, and he scores in the shootout. These two lads really showed up. But Lionel Messi was not losing that game yesterday. They would have had to carry him off in a stretcher for him not to win that game in, in some way yesterday. By sheer force of will... I think he lifted that Argentina team in extra time because they were dead. When that second French goal went in, I thought, that's it. France are going to win this game. They might even win this game in normal time because they've they've just realized that there's something happening here. And Argentina looked shell-shocked. But I think through sheer force of will, that little fucking genius just got everybody going again. And France had the better chances after that, and Martinez makes a hell of a save, a hell of a save from Colo Muani, who will be haunted by that miss. But I think over the balance of 120 minutes, I I think Argentina deserved to win the game. Yeah, definitely so. I mean, like, I was talking about this last night, and this, I don't normally watch back finals until like a few years later on, but I will absolutely be watching this final back over Christmas at some point because there's a lot of things, there was too much to take in at the time. And then obviously on top of that, you're working as well. So you're going to miss like one or two bits along the way. But honestly, after the match last night, I went out for a little bit and debriefed a bit of of the match. It was very difficult to remember straight away lots of individual things that happen between 2-0 and 2-1 and there's like what 50 minutes of match play something like that in between those two goals and like I know stuff happened I remember being like you know having a go at France for being so bad and like being surprised at the subs and then seeing how things started second half I know stuff happened but I really struggled to pick out individual moments so I'm definitely going to go back and have a look at all of this again but I, I, I also think it's important that we pick up on like maybe two or three people apart from those big two star names. And you've already mentioned that Emmy Martinez's massive save there. Unbelievable. Mm. I also would say Kingsley Coleman, when he came on, was like a match changer for France. Yes. This was like the Coleman that you want to see every single week. He was absolutely brilliant. Uh, Enzo, Parade, uh, Enzo, Paredes, Enzo Fernandez across the whole 120 minutes. Monster. An yeah. absolute monster for, for relative inexperience and the age that he is. I mean, Rodrigo de Paul, I thought, was fucking sensational in the first yeah. half yesterday. And in the second half, he was important, but I don't think he was quite as good on the ball. He was, like, making sure that he blocked everybody and he was winning the fouls and all that kind of stuff. But first half, he was just so, so good. I was very surprised, actually, out of the starting three. It was Enzo, who was the only one who lasted all the way through 120 minutes. And he got booked, if you remember, just before half time 
and played the entire second half and extra time on that yellow card. Yeah. And was and was still monstrous in the challenge, was still aggressive and just I, I I thought all three Argentine midfielders, I think they've all had Good to great tournaments. Yeah. I, I, DePaul had a slow start, but in the semi-final, I thought he was excellent, and I thought he was excellent yesterday. Like you said, first half better than second half, but still very important in the second half. Yeah. Alexis, I mean, this guy, this this guy plays for Brighton, yeah. and he's just played a starring role in a World Cup final. He was unbelievable unbelievable throughout the tournament and it was bringing him and Enzo into the team which Scaloni deserves huge credit for bringing them into the team is is what has given Argentina this World Cup those kind of decisions Rodrigo de Paul was great Enzo was Alexis was great but Enzo like you said Enzo was the star of the show and we'll talk more about him in a couple of minutes um you mentioned Coleman coming on I think Camavinga, when he came on, was fucking brilliant at left back. Yeah, um, uh, let's just say he was much improved from his last outing at left back, which mm. was not quite what you wanted it to be. He I might have he... been helped by the game state, by the fact that France were having to throw people forward a bit more. Yeah, possibly that. But I thought he was really, really good, and he's he's like he's a sensationally gifted player. But I do think if I'm Carlo Ancelotti sitting at home and I'm looking at my left-back situation thinking, Ferlin Mendy's not what we hoped he'd be and David Alaba doesn't want to play there, I might actually try this. I might give this a run because I'm not getting him in midfield at the moment and we're looking for other midfielders. I might, I might actually look at this, not as an every-game solution, but maybe this is a way to get him a lot more minutes. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I think Ancelotti does use him relatively well in midfield, to be fair, in terms of game time and minutes. It's not like, you know, the midfield under Zidane where it was three and then if anyone was injured, you could come in and then that was it. No other no other minutes allowed, basically. So he does do a decent job. I'm not sure how much Kamavinga likes playing left back, to be fair. Um, I've really seen him play there before. I heard him talk about it or anything. But, well, cup final, you're going to do whatever he's He's only of. played 500 La Liga minutes this season, which is... Yeah, it's not huge, but like less you know. than half what Harvey Elliott has played for us. Yeah, yeah, but I think his 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 level hasn't always been excellent. Let's be honest, since he went there, like he took a little while to settle in. So I think it, it's a uh, it's okay for him to be a slow burner because there's obvious quality there. Like you know, he's only 20 years of age. There's there's lots of quality that I think he'll be absolutely fine to to be able to show over the longer term. It's not like he's just being ignored. It's not like it's not like they're having to play. And say, so, you know, people like Isco and stuff ahead of him anymore. So I think it's it's reasonable where he is at the moment there. So Argentina win the World Cup and it's it's the crowning glory for Messi. Hmm. We'd said before the game, this game doesn't impact his legacy one way or another. Unless you're one of those silly people that think team accomplishments is the judge of a player. Lionel Messi has done everything in the game. The winning the World Cup is incredibly hard and many, many great players never won the World Cup. 
But he didn't just win the World Cup, Carl. He won the World Cup being the best player in the World Cup. Mm. And he was unbelievable in the final as well. And remember, like he picked up a slight niggle in the Croatia game. Or was it was it the game before that? He picked up a little issue with his thigh muscle. He was definitely holding in the Croatia game anyway. And he just he's he's just been mesmerizing since. Yeah. And he, I thought he was again yesterday. I thought it was I thought he was brilliant. Um I, winning the game, like I said, doesn't impact his legacy for me, but the performance and the way he did it. That to me, I mean, as I said, I've said this a hundred times. Diego Mar- Diego Maradona is the best player I've ever seen, but there is no doubt for me, absolutely no doubt that this is the greatest of all time. This guy is is just from a different planet. To sustain what he has sustained since 2008, I know he had the the dip the first season at PSG didn't go great. But there was a lot of factors around that. But he's been brilliant this season. And he was incredible through this World Cup. He was. And I think it's a little bit easy as well to overlook the fact that he's 35. Yes. 35 and still the best. Like, 35 is not that far in my rearview mirror at the minute. And sometimes I struggle to get off the sofa. This (laughs) guy is, like, unbelievable. He's just... It's it's a little bit sickening to be perfectly honest with you, you know. It's it's incredible, and the fact that he wins it as captain and he gets to lift the trophy. And can I just say, so there was a lot of ignorance around the robe that was placed on him. Like that is that is a cultural thing. That's not Qatar trying to make it about Qatar or have their moment. That is the Qataris showing the very highest level of respect in their culture to the best player to, in the world, the greatest player of all time. That is the, that robe, that specific robe they put on him, that is literally the highest honour they can bestow on him. And I thought it was a wonderful moment, and he wore it to lift the trophy, and obviously took it off respectfully while celebrating. But I thought there was a lot of ignorance around the commentary, not necessarily the the match commentary, but the punditry in the studio and journalists that I saw commenting online regarding that robe. I think it's an incredible moment to see cultures come together like that. And it's it's something, I I think they put on a great final. I really do. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, I I think it's important to have the discourse around every single thing of this World Cup specifically, to be honest, I think even if there's something you don't like, that's fine. But make sure you're you're informed about it. Make sure you read as much as you can and learn as much as you can about it, and then have your opinion at the end of it, whether that's the same one or changed or whatever. But just make sure it's an informed opinion, is all I will say. Yeah, and I think that's fair. So Argentina win the World Cup. Lionel Messi wins the Golden Ball as the best player. I don't think it can be any debate. Mbappe wins the silver ball as the second best player to turn. And I think that's fair considering the performance in the final. Mm-hmm. However, I'm not having Luka Modric as the bronze ball. Firstly, <laughs> he, he he wasn't even Croatia's best player. He wasn't in even fact, Croatia's best midfielder. 
No, that's exactly it. I don't think he was one of Croatia's two best players in the tournament. I think Kovacic and Guardiol were their two best players. I mean, I would put Livakovic third. I yeah, that's a great shout. I think Antoine Griezmann has reason to be. He won't. He won't probably won't care in the grand scheme of things because he's yeah. just lost the World Cup final. But I think Antoine Griezmann was robbed here. I think he was comfortably. I think it was those three. And then a gap to everybody else. Yeah, me too. They were the three in the running for me. Uh, Mbappe does win the golden boot. Eight goals and two assists. Messi gets the silver boot. Seven goals and three assists. So both with ten goal involvements, which tells you the impact they've had in the tournament. Uh, And then a big old gap to Olivier Giroud for the bronze boot with four goals and no assists. Um. And Emmy Martinez wins the Golden Glove. And I, I'm sorry, I'm not having it, Carl. Rubbish. I'm not having it. I think that's an outrage. I don't think he had big moments in the World Cup. He made two incredible in-game saves late on against Australia and against France in the final. He obviously had big saves in the penalty shootouts, um, notably against. Van Dyke, but I'm not 100% certain he didn't concede more goals than he made saves in this tournament. I think I'm right in saying that he conceded more goals than he made saves. He made, uh, sorry, he conceded at least two goals which were very, very savable by, let's term an elite goalkeeper or mm. one who was at the top of his own game. Uh, he made a couple of big saves, no, no, no question about it. And, you know, the one on, um, um, Randall Colo, Moani um, last night was obviously a huge one and would have been a, a Kanate assist, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Kanate's big ball from deep. Um, but like I said, I think Mbappe's brilliant volley, as, as amazing a hit as it was, I think a, a decent, a really, really decent keeper saves that. He wasn't ready for it and he didn't stretch as far as he could. And I think one, uh, Veghorst, second one, exactly the same. A better yeah. keeper saves that. That was a, a very savable shot. Incredible again in the moment, but I'm just saying, like, as a goalkeeper, I think there were. There were at least three I would put above him, including the guy at the other end of the pitch last night. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I would have gone Novakovic. I think he had the best, the best tournament of any goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, Enzo Fernandez wins Young Player of the tournament, which I think was my pick on Friday. Yeah. Um, I, I think no complaints. Yeah, I think he was. I think he was incredible. I think the final caps it for him as well. Um, obviously, the most important award at any World Cup is the FIFA Fair Play Trophy. Yes. So get the buses ready. It's coming home. <laughs> England. Yeah. The FIFA World Cup. Um, I, I Did they get one yellow card in the whole tournament? I remember. Yeah, I, I think it was one. I think it you was can't. one. Let's see. No, this is important stuff, girl. Yeah. Well, it is. It's 100% important. The reason it's important. um, Yes, Harry Maguire was booked in the last minute of the game against France, and that is the only yellow card England received in the whole tournament. So, congrats. Uh, That warrants Gareth Southgate getting uh, two more years in charge, and congrats to not England on winning Euro 2024. Let's wrap this up because you've got to go. Give me your your final thoughts on this World Cup as a whole and on this final of what we witnessed yesterday. Final, I think, was the best World Cup final I've seen. I do. 
Um, you said it wouldn't be in your top three, perhaps, or were you talking finals of all kinds? No, I would say I no, I said I don't know if it's in my top three because I need to go back and watch. So I've got 86, 78, and 66 as my top three finals. 54 is another absolute belter. So I need to go back and watch them because, like, you're looking at a lot of different things. Obviously, quality of play, drama, goals, excitement, different things. It's it's in that mix, though. It's absolutely in the mix. I just I wouldn't want to say straight away it's the best World Cup final ever. Okay. It's certainly the best since 86 because 90 was good but not great. 94 was crap. 98 was quite one-sided. 02 was quite one-sided. 06 was, was good but not great. I thought the final in 10 was poor. The final in 14 was poor. And I thought the last final in, in 18 was just quite one-sided. So it's definitely, I think, the best since 86, but I, I wouldn't want to slot it directly into my, you know, best ever or top three without going back and watching those other games again. Yeah. I mean, you would be held to that for all eternity, you know, by, by every single listener. And you could never, <laughs> you know how fucking pedantic I am about <laughs> these things. So. Um, okay. I, I am very comfortable putting it at the top of the World Cup finals I've watched. So there you go. In my lifetime, well, not quite my lifetime, but in definitely the ones where I've been aware lifetime. of what man's pretending he was born after '86. Yeah, no, no, the ones where I'm, I'm aware of what a football is, let's say, um, definitely top for me, no question. Just so much happens, so much nonsense, so much, so many fucking intros rewritten is what I'm going to say there. Um, seems like every time you press save, something else happens and you have to change it all anyway. So never mind. Um, the World Cup as a whole. It wasn't the best one, no question. It wasn't remotely the best one, but it was a good one. But the thing is that I always think all tournaments are good, even the ones that everybody says like they didn't enjoy or they thought were rubbish. I enjoy because I like watching the World Cup and Europe's and the Copa America. I like watching the teams that I don't see all the time playing against each other, and the players who I do watch and some other people don't watch get to shine on a bit of a bigger stage. So I always enjoy them. So I can I find it quite difficult to say. This tournament was unbelievable. This this one was rubbish because I enjoyed them all for that specific reason. So I, I am aware that like the football on show here at this World Cup was nowhere near the highest quality it could be. But it isn't going to be because that's not what international football is anymore. International football has not been the pinnacle of the sport for like two decades at least. Mm. So I'm under no illusions going into a tournament. One, I will always enjoy it in terms of the football. And two... Uh, I know it's not going to be some of the football that I watch on a, a weekly basis, and that's fine. The things I don't like about this one, one, there was not enough build-up to it. Two, there's now not going to be enough break afterwards to you know, go back and see some of the games or the bits or the highlights or whatever. There's not going to be time to digest what we've just watched and have bigger discussions, not just on Messi and Mbappe, but on all the players who did amazing stuff a lot of the time for the first three weeks. Uh, no, we're going straight back into... Oxford v West Ham and Arsenal v Cardiff or whatever the fucking fixtures are in the Carabao Cup this week or next week or whenever it is. No, it's later this week, isn't it? It's straight yes, Thursday. Like yeah. Two or three days from now. This is this is stupid, right? Ridiculous. Now, if the World Cup is going to be held now, that's up to everybody else to figure out your schedules. Don't go straight back into these for three games later. So that that annoys me. To be quite actually, honest. it's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Wolves <laughs> against Gillingham, Carol. 
Great Wolves great. against Gillingham, Southampton against Lincoln, Newcastle against Bournemouth, MK Dons against Leicester. Can't wait, can't wait. Uh, yeah, I received quite a lot of messages last night. Oh, congrats on getting through. Are you, you going to have some time off now? No, no, we're back into the football tomorrow. So there you go. Thanks. Uh, happy Christmas. And I'll take Dave's bar humbug for the next three weeks. Um, I'm just going to add, again, what I said before. I was going to say this at the end anyway, but just in terms of the the football stuff, sure, but also all the non-football stuff because there's been so much of it around this World Cup. And I think it's important that even after this final all of that isn't just forgotten and ignored mm. and, you know, goes back to where it was two years ago or whatever. Keep reading. There's so much stuff out there. There's, it's impossible to go through it all, but keep reading and be as informed as you can and, and form your opinions accordingly. And I'm not saying even which way those opinions should be. Obviously, I will think a particular way, but as long as your uh, opinions and how you react to certain situations are informed i can't really argue with that to be honest um i don't like it when people refuse to take on board information and stick with what they already think and don't consider any other angles and that goes for the on-pitch stuff as much as the off-pitch stuff and there's never going to be an end to any of these conversations so as i say keep reading keep learning and keep being informed and that's really all you can ask of anybody yeah, I think that's very fair. Look, this World Cup should not have been held in Qatar, but it was. It wasn't a classic, but it had many, many memorable moments. And like you said, international football hasn't been the pinnacle of football since probably 98. You know, it, it's probably been that long since that was the highest level of the game. And drama and excitement are, are what we can get. I, I would say the atmosphere at most games was quite disappointing. It was quite forced and quite fake in some games. But, you know, there were certain fan bases that really did show out. Argentina for one, Morocco was another, Senegal was another. Um, the, the home nations, Saudi, uh, Qatar and obviously Saudi Arabia, whose fans could simply walk across the border. Um, those type of things... They, they did bring great atmosphere to games. I hope people keep the same energy for criticising a nation for the next World Cup, though, because for as many flaws as we can pick out with Qatar and how they run their own country, there are equally as many, if not more, for how America behaves, not just within their own borders, but outside their own borders. So when it comes to 2026... Uh, I do hope that there is a similar level of discourse. I hope that the journalists who were outspoken about this World Cup will be as outspoken about that World Cup and won't just wait till they're there. We'll start that discourse quite soon because it needs to happen. But we got a final that we wanted. We got a game that we deserved as football fans. We got a great, great game of football between two of the best, if not the two best players on the planet and two very good but not great teams. Two teams that were flawed in different ways. We got the narrative that many people wanted. We got Lionel Messi lifting a World Cup. We got new stars being born in Enzo Fernandez, in Onahi of, of Morocco, I think, showed out as one of the stars of the tournament. Guardiola, I think, became a star at this tournament. I think as Liverpool fans, 
the only real positive we have to take from this World Cup is what we saw from Ibu Kanate. Um, because obviously we didn't have many players at this World Cup. We only had seven. And Ibu is the only one that made it to the final. I think if he starts the final, I, I think France probably win. But that's a decision that Didier Deschamps will have to live with. I think I think overall on the balance it's been it's been a good World Cup. I, I don't like like you, I don't like the fact that we're going straight back into domestic football. Um I don't like it from a fan's point of view, I don't like it from a player's point of view. Last question Would you be in favour of another winter World Cup? Only if it was um arranged and agreed a lot more in advance so mm. schedules weren't. It has to be part of the bid. The bidding process has to be clear. This is a Winter World Cup, not a Summer World Cup. Yes, that's fair. And then things are domestically arranged around that. Mm. I don't think in and of itself a Winter World Cup is a problem. You know, it was a problem because it was going back on what was planned. It was a problem because it affected schedules, which were already affected, don't forget, two years previously by COVID and everything squashed together and then things couldn't be pulled apart afterwards. And it's just been... One going back on itself after another. Uh, it's not just. But COVID did stuff. give them the option, Carl, to do this properly, where they could have yeah, just yeah, changed yeah. the schedules to go that the yeah. club season runs January to September, and we have this tournament in October, November. Yeah, that's what I mean. Though it has to, be, it should have been both sides have, have done this better. It's not just just Qatar's fault, but I'm. I think you're actually right there. It's got to be part of the bidding process. And after that, mm. there's, there's clarity already. You know, the schedule, the exact schedule can be done still like five years in advance and you can you know, plan around that or whatever. But it, it wasn't obviously just just when it took place, which was the, the bigger problem in terms of scaling back on, on promises and what was part of the bid initially and everything else. So of course, a lot more. Um, accountability has to be held for FIFA to keep people to what the bid was unless there's a genuine reason for changing it because I think they've undermined themselves an awful lot this year and it'll be very difficult to step back on that in future yeah I think that's very very fair right well we will leave it there that is the 2022 FIFA World Cup wrapped this is the second major tournament that we have done this for we did it for last year's Euros we, if we're, if if Anfield Index is still standing, we will do this for 2024. And I think uh, it, it's it's something I've really enjoyed doing. It is it's a fun way to document these World Cups because even if you can't be asked to go back and watch all the games again, you can always listen back to these. These will be up on AI forever. And um, you know if you want to remember things or or check your memory on certain things these podcasts stand a little bit as a as a marker in time so carl this has been fun and obviously a big part of this has been guy so guy thank you for all your help with this um obviously guy does if it wasn't for guy i, I would do no podcasts because um, i am i am technically cha- technologically challenged but yeah this is this has been great Yep, echo that. Thanks very much to Guy. I think maybe Guy actually was here more than the two of us because we both missed one show at least. I think he might have been present for all of them. So I there think you that's... go. He was late one day, but oh, he, he ended up coming late. on. Very late. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think he guided everyone. I was two them. minutes late. Oh, <laughs> you, were, you were many, many minutes late on one of them, my friend. Yeah, no, you were about 10 minutes late on one of them because I, <laughs> I was recording. That's how bad it was. 
Um, but yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Thank you for all the kind messages. And uh, just remember, fans of the USA, he hated you through this tournament. I loved you. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.